Yo, what's up? This is Toru, and in a way, so are you. For those of you who don't know me, I'm a music producer, artist, and entrepreneur. I make music for that space between the dance floor and the bedroom, which has been streamed millions of times and been licensed by brands big and small, including companies like Apple. I believe that regardless of what you produce, whether it be music, art, physical goods, or even spreadsheets, you have a process, whether you know it or not. To explore this further, I created the Producer Head podcast. Producer Head is a place to have conversations with other producers about their experience and process to share what works and what doesn't, to help each of us learn and improve our own processes along the way. Today's guest is Brooklyn-based Cryptic One, a rapper, producer, drum programmer, slash finger drummer extraordinaire, and honestly, just a legend in his own right. If you had told a younger me that I'd be talking to this man in this context, there's just no way I would have believed you. He's a member of the Adams Family, he's released music through Def Jux, has credits with artists that include Aesop Rock, Cannibal Ox, and others that I'm definitely missing. And if that weren't enough, Cryptic One just received a billboard plaque for the Lloyd Banks track Dead Roses, which he produced. Throughout this conversation, we discuss, among many other topics, finding your own sound, imposter syndrome, consistency and quantity as a path to quality, and behind the scenes of how his placement with Lloyd Banks came to be. Again, it is a trip to be presenting this episode to you. Cryptic One has made beloved contributions to music and remains a humble and kind dude. In this conversation, he reminds us that the challenges of pursuing our goals can often be difficult, but always worthwhile. And with that, here's a conversation with Cryptic One. Episode three of Producer Head starts now. What's up, everybody? This is Toru. And in a way, so are you. Welcome back to another episode of Producer Head. Today, we have a very special guest on the podcast as an early member of the legendary NYC underground crew, Adam's Family. Cryptic One has been an influential figure in the hip hop music scene for over three decades. Yes, three decades. His music is characterized by cinematic textures, chaotic drums, and cleverly crafted lyrics that often contain social commentary and multiple meanings. And I'm very excited to go deep with him today. Please welcome Cryptic One. Peace, everyone. What's up, man? Chilling, man. How are you? Good, man. Thank you so much for, for being here with us today. Very excited to get into uh, what we got going on. Oh, thank you for having me, man. It's a pleasure. Anyone wants to, to hear what I have to say, which um, I don't get to do often enough, you know, so. Yeah, man, I hear you. I'm very excited. So first of all, man, congrats on the recent placement with Lloyd Banks. I know you just got your first plaque. And for those of you not watching, there's a, a billboard plaque hanging right behind this man right now. Yes, there is. So, um, so tell us a little bit about that, man. I mean, it's the it's the classic prize in music. So, how does it feel? Tell us about it. Obviously, it feels great. I mean, it's it's hanging up behind me because it makes me feel good. It's a little surreal, especially considering the type of music that I make. Yeah, you know, I think every musician who puts their their music out into the world kind of envisions it being accepted on a level that for lack of a better word, they kind of fantasize about and kind of stays there. You know, it's a fantasy and that's cool. It's, it's not something like I ever set out to do or wanted to do to the point where I'm like going to change my art. It just kind of just kind of happened. It was a shock, but not a shock as, as far as like the actual logistics of the plaque happening. Uh, that was not a shock because I kind of knew once this placement happened and I saw it kind of it take off from the streaming as far as the YouTube video views and the talk about the album and just who the artist was. I kind of knew it was going to go somewhere. And it's not a shock also because the way Billboard Plex kind of work, it's about a week's worth of sales and where they chart. So I knew like first week that like, oh shit, we charted on three Billboard charts. So technically I could have three plaques, but plaques Many people probably do not know this plaques cost money, <laughs> you know, like mm -hmm. they don't just, Hey, you got it. And they send it to you for free. You know, you, you got to pay for them. When I found out I was on three charts or not, I was when Lloyd Banks was on three charts and I produced one song on the album, I had the option to get either three plaques, one plaque that showed all three um, charts or the plaque that I got, which just shows one. Um, the reason why I chose this one is kind of silly, but the place where it's going to go in the living room, we had space for a horizontal um, portrait mode 
frame, but we didn't have space for the landscape. So that that was the instrumental decision on on just getting one over three. Yeah, congrats again. It's it's amazing, man. I didn't realize it was on three separate charts too. That's really rad. Thank you, man. Thank you. Yeah, man. of course, man. Well deserved. Well deserved. And I, I guess yeah, man. And also, I guess maybe pull back the curtain for us a little bit because I think you know you see something like that and you're just like, how do I do that? So can you tell us like what the process was like and how it came about? Yeah, I mean, yes, I'll, I will peel back the curtain, so to speak. There is no. I don't know if there's going to be a gem of like, this is how you do it, because I don't think I could repeat the process if I wanted to. Mm. So we'll go back a few years because it started about four or five years ago, actually, where I had hundreds of beats on my hard drive, as many of us producers do. I had just come off the heels of making a beat a day for a hundred days straight for the third time. So I had literally had 300 new beats that had no homes. So I was like, you know what, let's try and play the placement game and see if we can make something happen. So for about a year, I hit up a lot of contacts that I knew, like friends of friends, knew a manager or direct line to an artist. And I got my beats in the hands of a lot of artists that I wanted to work with. I'm not going to name names because nothing ever happened. There were people who hit me back. You know, I like this beat, this beat, and this beat. I'm going to record to it. Started writing to this beat. Lots of almost things, but I've been doing this for a long time. If I could have a dime for every almost song, I'd be a rich man. Mm -hmm. So after about a year doing that, I just saw on Twitter, I don't even remember how I got it. Someone retweeted it and it was like, Lloyd Banks is looking for beats, had an email that said Lloyd Banks beats at Gmail. And then I clicked on the, to see who was who posted this or who tweeted it. And it was Lloyd Banks manager, uh, Hovain, um, rest in peace. And um, yeah, I just decided to shoot my shot. I had no in, it was just a kind of a cold email, like, hey, so your tweet, here are five beats, let me know. So to rewind my selection of beats, I had a very specific thing that I was doing with all the placements is I would pick two beats from my stash where I thought that based on this artist's history of, of tracks that they've wrapped over that I thought they, they would like. Then I send two tracks where as a producer, I think of this artist and I'm like, they don't rap over this kind of stuff, but I would like to see them on this kind of stuff. I'll send two of those. And then one beat is just purely unapologetically 100% me, the shit that I like to make, the shit that I like to do. Maybe it's a little off center, it's a little weird in that hip hop space for rappers. And that's what I did with Lloyd Banks. And literally two days after I sent the email, I got an email back from the manager saying Lloyd wrote to, oh no, I think he said Lloyd recorded to one of your beats. It's not going to be on this album and we're not really sure what's going to happen with it, but hold on to that beat. So I chalked it up as another almost and like, all right, I'm not holding beats at this point. I'm just, I don't hold beats for anyone. That That's a, a, a thing I will say to producers. Don't, if someone, unless they pay you, don't hold a beat. It's just, it's silly because you'll be holding beats for 10, 15 years and nothing ever gets done with them. So anyway, I didn't hold the beat. Literally four years later, I wake up, I check my Instagram because I'm an addict. And it's it's real. You know, the first thing I do when I wake up is turn off my alarm and then check Instagram for a few minutes before I get my day started. So I see I have a couple DMs. I look and one stands out because it's uh says it's from Lloyd Banks. And I'm like, no, it can't be Lloyd Banks. So I, you know, I click the profile before I even read the message. And I'm like, oh shit, yep, blue check mark. However many followers he got, yep, that's actually Lloyd Banks. So I checked the message and it literally is one word and just says peace. I'm like, okay, mind you, this is four years later. So I'm like half forgot that he has a beat of mine. Like, I, I don't know right. what, what's going on at this point. Wow. So my response to peace was peace. That's it. I just press enter. There like, you go. When in doubt, just say peace. Yeah. yeah like, <laughs> and he texted me at like five in the morning or something. Um, 
my IG notifications are off, so it's not like it would bother me, but it's just like mm. typical rapper five in the morning in the studio, probably. Right. Um, so I just said peace and like maybe five minutes later, he says, hey, did you produce a beat called at the time it was called um, First Sensit of 2016? So I literally made it the first day of 20, first sunrise of 2016. Um, I stayed up all night for New Year's and I made a beat half hungover, half drunk. <laughs> that, was, that was that beat so that that's one tip is do something absurd like stay up all night and get drunk and then make a beat um <laughs> but uh yeah so like we just exchanged info and i was like he's like yeah i recorded to it you know and my first thing you know because again i've been doing this for a while it's like all right you know can i get your manager's information and let our people handle the paperwork kind of thing and that was it. And I mean, it took, I'm not going to get into the details of like negotiations, but it took about four to five months to negotiate a deal that everyone was happy with. And um, yeah, then it came out and it was single. There was a video and you know, not long after it charted on Billboard. And that's kind of kind of the story. I think the one takeaway from it all is to... Be yourself. Don't be afraid to send the things that you like because you really can't, as much as we as producers like to think that we have a, a our finger on what a, a, a rapper wants because of their past stuff that they've picked, you really never know. And, and beyond that, like you can really never even know what people are gonna like. Cause I'm I, I think I have a, a perfect record in being wrong. And like <laughs> in all the years it's like all right this is the song that everyone's gonna like on yeah. the album it's never that song it's always a song that i almost threw away and didn't put on the album that people gravitate towards so you know you got to take off the prediction hat and sometimes just kind of um close your eyes and shoot your shot but make sure that it's your shot not someone else's yeah no man i, I love that because i think it's when you're trying to prepare something for somebody else maybe it's it's easy to forget because you're looking at all the stuff that they have available to kind of inform that decision and what you show them, but you can't see behind all of that. And you can't see maybe the artistic trajectory that they're on and maybe where they're trying to go and what they're trying to do. And so yeah, to your point, man, I, I think that's a really cool piece, but out the work that that's you, because ultimately that's, that's what was chosen. Right. But yeah. I mean, I would have never thought that he would have picked that beat like hundred percent. Like if I was picking stuff that I thought he would pick, I would have never said that because it's not like anything that he's ever done. And that's also kind of the beauty of it. And like side note, you know, I'm going to be real about this is that when you have a song that's, I think it's close to a million uh, streams on, on YouTube, it's probably past that. I don't know. I haven't looked in a while, but you get a lot of comments mm. and you know, you like to look at the comments. I don't care who you are. Everyone, everyone looks like bad, good. You see the hateful ones, but like mm. a lot of them were just like, this is the kind of beat I always wish Lloyd Banks would rap over, like that kind of stuff. It was just kind wow. of like, I don't know, just kind of very satisfying to know that it was so left field for him and that he saw something in it and, and, and wasn't scared of it and kind of embraced it. And kind of, I feel like I pushed him in a different direction that he normally wouldn't go. Uh, not that I had any, it's not like I was in the studio pushing him, but you know, just like my music, which is another kind of um, satisfying thing to know that there was no relationship. It was just the music that kind of did it. You know? Absolutely, man. Yeah. Congrats again, man. And everybody, please go. Go bump that track and leave a good comment on YouTube. You don't want any, <laughs> any of that out there. Leave an honest comment. It's a Dead <laughs> Roses by Lloyd Banks, by the way. Um, yeah, just be honest. I don't care. You could tell me you hate it. You know, that's that's cool too. You need it all. That's right. We're here for it. Shout out to the haters. <laughs> Peace let's, to the <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about imposter syndrome, man. Because a couple of weeks ago when we were chatting, like that came up. And I want to ask you how you define imposter syndrome. Um, there's a number of different ways that it manifests, but I guess the basic, the basic part of it is, is not feeling like you belong in the room. 
that could look mm-hmm. like a lot of things. It could, it could look like these guys are quote unquote real musicians. I don't play an instrument. These guys have, uh, I couldn't say this before, but these guys have plaques, you know, like mm-hmm. who am I? Even like sidechain, there's a, a, a shout out to sidechain, side which is how I know you bunch of really talented people and a bunch of really, really knowledgeable things in, in lots of different things. And, and there, sometimes I feel like an imposter because like, you know, name drop Polly. Polly is like a brilliant dude, an an incredibly musician, mixing engineer. Like he just seems like he's the guy that knows everything about everything. And yeah, shout out to Polly. Shout out to Polly. Yeah. But when you're in those spaces, you know, it's kind of, Sometimes it's difficult to like, uh, not challenge it, but just kind of like say your piece that doesn't match up with that mm-hmm. um, without feeling like, you know, this dude is clearly brilliant. Who am I to say anything that that opposes it? So that's part of imposter syndrome. I, I, I think it manifests in a lot of different ways. I think a major one for me is perfectionism. Mm. I feel like everyone else shit is perfect. And I see all the flaws in mine. I don't see any of their flaws. I just hear the vibe and it's perfect. Like, and clearly that's not the case. We're all artists. Everyone got flaws in every one of their things. And we all see it from the inside, from the outside. It's, it's never apparent. But yeah, that's kind of how it affects me. And I'm sure I'm, sure I'm forgetting things or, or missing points that other people um, would make about imposter syndrome. But I, I'm a hundred percent certain that everyone goes through it on some levels and in the off case that you don't go through it at all, probably not that good of an artist. Sorry. Because <laughs> like there, there's gotta be like some Let's level of, of imperfection for it to be genuine to me. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It's sort of like maybe the imperfections are what make it sort of, sort of beautiful. Right. Or real. right. Yeah. I, I mean, it's it's even bad calling it imperfections. I mean, it's it just kind of everyone's got a fingerprint. It's one's not better than the other. It's just different. Mm. So it's it's a lifelong journey trying to embrace those uh, quote unquote imperfections. Um, and I'll let you know if I ever get there, but I, I don't foresee it happening. <laughs> right on. I mean, you mentioned that example of sort of like, I'm in this room, these dudes have plaques, I don't. Now that you have a plaque, has that done anything to like ease the the existence or the or the struggle with imposter syndrome for you? No, not at all. Not at all. Uh, like mm. I, I've reached a lot of quote unquote accomplishments, and I feel like everyone, um, it almost feels to a degree that I don't deserve it, or that I didn't earn it, or that it was luck, or that I just happened to be in the right place at the right time with the right beat, or. It's never about, oh shit, I worked really hard at this shit for however many years, like 30 years is when I've been releasing music. I've been mm-hmm. making music longer than that. So it's like, it's this weird thing in me. And again, I've spoken to a lot of people. I've read books on, on the topic. It's not uncommon and it's pretty normal, but it, it's something that you have to keep at bay for it to be a productive thing and not something that just beats you down. But yeah, no, getting a plaque did not make me feel any like, oh, I did it. I belong. Now let's fucking go. You know, it's, yeah. I never, never I, I don't suspect I'll ever fully get there. Well, allow me to speak for myself as well as anybody listening, man. And you you definitely deserve it. And we're all super proud. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. I, I'm extremely I like hearing myself speak about it kind of makes me think that, that maybe I'm coming off as like this guy who's like beating himself down. It's not that at all. There's definitely mm-hmm. waves of like, I'm fucking proud. I got a plaque and I know it's a beat that I made that I really like, and that happened. But then there's also the other side, you know, there's always multiple voices going and, and kind of oddly enjoy it because it keeps me pushing to improve. Mm because I'm never fully satisfied <clears throat> with where I am. So, you know, if I'm not satisfied here, I got to keep moving forward. Right. Right. So, I mean, it sounds like you're kind of hinting at some strategies that you use to manage imposter syndrome and some of the challenges that you feel kind of the conflict you experience internally as a producer. So maybe you can share some strategies or some ideas or thoughts that you've come across 
that have been helpful in managing that because I do agree and, and tend to think that we all experience it and it does manifest in different ways. But I think there's there's a high likelihood that it's like a, there, there are strategies that have overlap and can work in, in different contexts for different people. Oddly, I made a post about this at the end of last year because the year before I did a lot. I, I released two albums, a vinyl, CD, cassette that sold really well, got a lot of praise. I released a single every Friday for 85% of the year. I just did a lot. I was constantly doing things. I was doing shows. I did, I don't even know how many shows, but uh, it was more shows than I'd done in years. Through events and I was just hustling. And then the next year, I didn't release anything at all. In, in 2022, I did not release one thing. I didn't really make much. But at the end of the year, I was kind of beating myself up and I sat down and I literally wrote everything that I did do. Didn't think of the things I didn't do. I just wrote all the things I did do. And the Lloyd Banks thing was in there. Got a, got a plaque. I did a bunch more shows. I did my first out, out of state beat sets. I flew to Oakland to do a few shows. It's just kind of like, I mean, there's a lot more on that list, but like that moment of just looking at it all on the page. And here it was like beating myself up about not accomplishing shit in this year. And I'm like, oh shit, I actually did. I just didn't accomplish it in the, the ways that I'm used to, which is releasing records. So that that was a huge thing for me. And and it it literally just happened accident it wasn't like a grand plan like i'm gonna write a gratitude journal or anything like that you know it was just kind of like i literally was at the end of the year and i was like ah, I, I gotta make a post kind of summing up my year but i didn't really do anything and i was like just started writing down i was like oh, okay i could sum this up so like that was one of the big things another thing that i kind of have to mention and I've mentioned this a number of times in a number of places and on social media. It's a book that kind of speaks to all of this, um, including imposter syndrome and just kind of art. And it's the title of the book says it all. It's called Art and Fear. And it just kind of deals with every way that an artist deals with fear and how to cope with fear. It's not that it gives you strategies for me, and it does, but for me, the, the book was really helpful in that it'll talk about famous artists. And it's not really just, it's not musicians, really. I mean, sometimes it is musicians, but it's like Mozart or, or Bach mm. or something. It's not like, they're not talking to Black Thought or anything. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but, but they'll just kind of tell you that they went through this thing and I'm like, holy shit, that's exactly what I'm going through. And they're fucking Picasso. Like he had trouble appreciating his own work. And, and that was just kind of eye opening for me as always being kind of the guy who felt like he was looking, he was on the outside looking at this place that he wanted to be not really ever taking the time to notice that I was there. Mm. If, if that makes sense. So I think that's really important is to look back and to look where you are, where you've been in order to push yourself where you're going. Yeah, I love, I don't know. I just think it's easy to feel like you're going through these kinds of things by yourself, but these are things that other people have experienced. And so just getting that, that visibility, I think can do a lot. So right. I'll make sure, I'll make sure to get this book and we'll link it in the, in the show notes and in the description of this video for people. Are there any other books that kind of come to mind that have been helpful to you in dealing with kind oh. of the these conflicts? There are a million. Um, <laughs> Maybe give us your top few. Um, there are others that don't necessarily speak to 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 this, um, but give techniques that help with. It's kind of weird because this doesn't really fall into this, but like getting things actually getting things done is super helpful in making you feel good about the things feeling good about yourself feeling I, I feel like talking to a lot of producers and a lot of artists i see a lot of the big problem is is 
not getting things finished or to a point where they feel they're finished. And I know people who are super talented and 15 years later, they haven't released a thing Mm -hmm. and their stuff is worth it, but they're always waiting for this perfect moment. So there's a book, which I'm sure many people probably know about it, but it's called Power of Less. And this guy also wrote another book called Zen to Done. And it's really just a productivity book. It has nothing to do with art per, per se, but it's something that I use every day, literally. I, 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 it changed the way I, I approached everything uh, in life. But in music, it, it changed the way I approached making music, changed the way I approached releasing music, the business side, the marketing side. And it's, it, I'll just break it down very simply, but the book goes more in more detail, is that every day you wake up, you should be doing something, whether no matter how small it is, that's pushing you towards this big goal of yours. Generally, it's three tasks per day called most important tasks. So Mm -hmm. every day I wake up, I write down the three things that I'm going to get today that work toward this other thing. Obviously, you know, my to-do list is long. I have a bunch of other shit to do, but those three things are pushing towards. So for instance, right now I'm gearing up to release this album on CD. Shout out. Um, new beginnings, uh, cassette and vinyl, which I'm waiting on the vinyl right now. So every day I do three things that's towards that release because I feel like we often get lost in the sauce and do other shit, shiny object syndrome where, you know, you, I should be doing this, but I'm going to make a beat instead. Yeah. I'm kind of getting lost in the sauce of this conversation, but to bring it, full circle you're good you're good um there's a book called uh war of art which talks about resistance which is kind of what i just explained is like you have all this other stuff that you need to be doing and but making a beat is far more fun so let's put off the important thing to do the fun thing um yeah man that's a classic war of art that one was pretty powerful for me as well it's a must read and, and art and fear is kind of aligned with that in a lot of ways, a different approach for me, art, art and fear kind of speaks to me a little bit more like literally before and after I release anything, I read it again. Mm-hmm. I don't read it cover to cover, but I'll pick certain parts to, to reread just to kind of remind me that like, I'm not alone. Like these fears are normal. Right. And that's, that's, that's kind of the dope part to me is like kind of the format of some of these books, right? Because once you've, even if you've never even read it one time all the way through, they're set up in a way where you can really just kind of open it to somewhere. And if it doesn't land, you know, you'll be surprised how often it does probably, but if it doesn't, you can just flip to another page, you know, and there's kind of a different idea there. And so, yeah, I'm with you. And again, I'll put all these in the uh, show notes and description for everybody so that they can check these out if it's so, if it interests them. Indeed. You mentioned perfectionism. And so I feel like that's sort of a, a form of, it's like a block, beat block, writer's block, whatever you want to call it. I think regardless of whether you make beats or you literally write books, I think you experience it, you experience it to some extent. And so can you tell us a little bit about your experience with writer's block and how you, you view it? I think I have a, a, a kind of controversial view on writer's block. A lot of writers are probably going to get mad at me for saying this. And I don't really believe in it. On one side, I feel like it's kind of a convenient cop-out. What I think people confuse is that writer's block isn't about not being able to write. It's about not being able to write something that you're proud of, that you feel is worthy of your time, your effort, etc. But that's kind of everyone. That's what making art is. Like, you try something, it doesn't work and you try something else and you got to keep trying or else you don't get to the, the, the magic at the end of the rainbow. So you and I, and a lot of your listeners make beats. I have an Ableton push in front of me. I know how it works. I can load up some drums. I can load up a road sound. I could load up a bass sound and I can make a beat every day. There's nothing stopping me from doing that, but myself. It's not because I don't have any ideas or whatever, but how do you get ideas by tinkering? So my suggestion to anyone having a beat block is to force yourself 
which sounds the exact opposite of what artists are supposed to do. They're supposed to wait for this inspiring moment and have magical clouds parting and beams of sunlight hitting them and God takes over and they pour this out. And that does happen. Mm -hmm. But usually, a hundred things you did before that are you trying shit and failing. So my mantra is like, I have to try a hundred things to get to the good thing. I'll try the hundred things as opposed to like, just hoping that this is going to be the good thing I make today. The flip side of that is, is while I'm going through that process, I don't throw shit out. So I have a bunch of unfinished or and I shouldn't say unfinished. Cause I try and complete everything. If I'm going to start a beat, I, I do it to completion, whether I like it or not. And I put it aside and I'll listen to it. Three months later, I'm like, you know what? This sucks, this sucks, this sucks, but there's something there. And I'll develop that into something else. Or I don't. But I've, I'm comfortable in the fact that, and maybe this comes from me being an ex-skateboarder, right? So skateboarders, we see the finished product in a skate video. We see the guy landing this crazy-ass trick. It took him thousands of times failing that trick to nail it that one time that you see. So that's kind of how I look at beats in that I just fail every day until I don't. That's how you beat beat block is by making beats. Right. It, it sounds sort of just like the importance of showing up to an extent, right? Like you can't ever make it if you're, if you're not in front of, if you're not in front of it in your studio or whatever, wherever you make music, if you're not there, how does it get made? Exactly. Exactly. I, I know it's ruffles feathers because I know I used to be that person who would like, oh, I'm just not inspired. I, I'm having beat block. Every time I sit down, it's, I make something that sucks. So I feel for people going through it. So I, I'm not like, you know, talking down to them, but like really just, just make shit, man. Like it's supposed to be fun. Yeah. It's to be enjoyable. And I know forcing it doesn't sound enjoyable, but if this is what you want to do, like think back to when you first picked up any beat making piece of equipment, you didn't know what the fuck you were doing. You just fucked around. Now listen to that shit that you made 10 years ago, 20 years ago, and you, you listen to it with disgust, but that was a necessary process to go through to get where you're at. That's my advice. Fuck up, fuck up often, fail as much as you possibly can. Yeah, man, talk a little bit more because you mentioned how you don't throw anything away. You know, even it's a bad idea because I can imagine, okay, I sit down today and I make something and I'm like, man, this is, this is trash. Like, I'm, I'm just, what's the point in saving this? Yeah, I, I learned something from doing quote unquote beat challenges. Uh, I was doing them. I was going through the, the thing that we were just talking about where I was like, I'm just not making anything um, at all. I have beat block. And then I, one day on Instagram is when I had like 50 followers just starting out on Instagram. I was like, there's no pressure here. I made a beat, forced myself to upload it with a video of my dog. And this is when Instagram just started video. So it was only 15 second clip. And I put a hashtag beats every day for a hundred days. And then I pressed send and I kind of felt stupid about pressing send. And I was like, shit, now I put my pressure pressure on myself. Mind you, it's 50 people, just friends and family. It's like not even a big fucking deal, but mm-hmm. I felt obligated to, to complete that. So for the next 99 days, I made a beat and the, whatever beat I made that day, I uploaded it, whether I liked it or not. And the thing that I quickly realized is that number one, I put out trash on the internet, it's not really a big deal. It goes away, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, two, stuff that I consider trash, some people loved. And that kind of got me in the mentality of kind of getting out of my way and realizing that, number one, it's not that serious. You're not going to, like, your career's not over if you put out a bad beat on Instagram for 50 people or 5,000 people or 100,000 people. Like, no one's going to give a shit a week later. And number two, I saved everything, including that Lloyd Banks beat, which I had made maybe five years 
before I sent it to him. Wow. Doing this beat challenge where the, the beauty of the beat challenge for me is that you don't have time to second guess yourself because half of these beats, I was like, got home from whatever I did that day at nine o'clock. I'm like, okay, shit, I got three hours to make a beat, shoot a video, mix it, master it, upload it. So like, it's literally a factory. Like, okay, this is the beat for the day. Fuck it. Put it out there. And then before you can even go back and like criticize it, you're doing the next one. So back to the saving everything, it's it's kind of, um, it's therapeutic in a way. Kind of see this body of work that spans a, a very specific set of time with uh, some realist, not realistic, but some with some real limitations on it, time limitation and to see what, what you did and relish in the fact that the good stuff was good. The bad stuff was bad and you survived it and it made you better, including the bad stuff. So, yeah, I mean, that that's kind of where, I stand on that and and I still don't ever throw anything away because even if it's just one hi-hat sound or a kick pattern that I liked, you can pull from anything. Yeah, man, I, I couldn't agree more, you know, and I think it's, I feel like you're almost kind of describing how it sort of becomes this journal by default, you know, because it's sort of this documentation of where you've been. And if you don't save them, you know, you don't have these little snapshots to go back to. And even if it is as small as a kick pattern, you don't know what the kick pattern will sound like tomorrow or a year from now or however long until you open it the next time, right? So I do think that's really interesting. You're never going to hear anything with the same ears twice, right? Exactly, exactly. So I'm curious, like, what made you send that text to all your friends to be like, hey, like, I'm committing to this this beat challenge for the next 100 days? I'm very big on accountability. Um, because I'm also very, uh, adept at, at avoiding, uh, responsibility. <laughs> um, so like if I just leave it up to myself, I'm likely to be like, all right, I'll get to it tomorrow. I'll procrastinate and no, uh, it's just that kind of energy. But when other people are relying on me, even though it's kind of a trick because no one's relying on me, no one's like waking up, like cryptic didn't make a beat today what the fuck and like unfollow like you know it's not (laughs) no one gives a shit like that but it's it's this perceived like i don't want to let anyone down or i want to live up to my word i'm very big on that like if i say i'm going to do something i i really want to do it and i feel bad about myself when i don't so i don't mind letting myself down i hate letting other people down so just me telling 50 people that I'm doing this and it's something that I've used in life. Like that's how I quit smoking. Like I Mm. literally, before I quit, I told everyone that I quit everyone that I know. And like, yo, if you see me with a cigarette, you have my permission to slap it out of my face. And I never smoked a cigarette again. Like, so like it's effective. I don't know how healthy (laughs) uh, (laughs) it, it is. I mean, it's healthy to not be smoking, but I don't know how, how healthy it is to put that kind of pressure on yourself from outside forces, but I don't think it's, it's genuine pressure. I, I think it's just kind of this perceived someone watching you kind of thing to keep you in line, which I think society has done for eternity. So I do it to myself to hopefully yeah. benefit. From life. Absolutely, man. I mean, I think what it speaks to, at least what I notice is it, it's knowing it's having a self-awareness about how you're motivated and what can be effective for you. So maybe it's not as important what you did in terms of like, for you, it's I'm gonna tell my friends and the people that I know and see and care about me and that I care about. And we're gonna, that's like that kind of link is gonna keep me accountable to the things that matter to me. How did you develop that awareness in the first place? You know, that to know that, okay, this is the mechanism for me in order to achieve these goals. In in some ways, it, it's kind of, I guess it ties into the other thing because I tried and failed a lot and I still do. It, like I, I, I think it's important to note that I'm saying all these things and maybe from the outside, it looks like I have it all figured out. I do not. I still 
make promises that I don't keep, promises to myself, promises to people looking for music, promises of collaborations, which I'm supposed to be doing collaboration with you that has not panned out yet. Oh, we'll um, get there, man. We'll get no, there. we will get there. Um, yeah, it's all it's kind of. It's kind of like, I, I think what did it for me was a little bit of history. Uh, in 2004, I released an, my first solo rap album, uh, The Anti-Mobius Strip Theory. That album was finished in 99, wow. 2000. For a lot of reasons, it didn't come out until 2004. It was supposed to come out in 2001. I had promised it to people. I had spent money promoting it, and it didn't come out for four years. So that was kind of devastating to me at the time for a lot of reasons, because a lot of other things that I won't get into crazy detail about, but it, it was kind of the perfect storm for that record in terms of where the industry was, in terms of what people connected to the record were, were doing, people that were connected to me. Like this was like brief history. Cannibal Ox record came out that year, which was huge. And I was on that record. My album was supposed to come out that year, a little a few months after that album dropped. Aesop Rock's debut on Def Jooks came out that year, which I mixed. Aesop Rock is also on my solo album. So this was all 2001 where all this was supposed to be happening. My record didn't come out for four years. So that really affected me. Um, just from an emotional standpoint of like, here's this thing I promised everyone and it didn't happen. So... I think that just kind of lit a fire under my ass is like, if I'm going to say it out loud, I have to make sure that it's going to happen. Um, whether that's me doing a lot of prep work to make sure that it's going to happen before I even mention it to the world or whether I'm using that the opposite way and I'm saying it to the world to make sure that I get it fucking done. So I, I don't know if that really answers your question, but that's kind of where I I think I learned it from like, this is just kind of analyzing it after the fact. No, I mean, I think you have answered it, right? I mean, I think to me, what I'm hearing is you experienced the pain of not fulfilling what you felt like was a promise that you were responsible for. Right. And that, that pain led to you being like, I'm not going to experience this again if I can help it. Right. Right. Cool. And then I, I learned to use that to my advantage. And yeah, it doesn't always work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I feel you. Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, it, it's not necessarily about having something be 100%, but it's an interesting thing to just kind of understand, you know, to have strategies, right? It doesn't mean that they're foolproof. Right. I think, you you know, I've been doing this for a long time, so you can't help but develop strategies as a form of protecting yourself from, like you said, that pain, like mm. a kind of like this shit fucked up last time. What can I do different to make sure that I never feel that again, you know? Let's jump over to a, a little bit of like kind of the development of artistic identity, man. Because again, like, you know, as you just mentioned, like with all the time that you spent, it's, it's just amazing, you know, like the, the, the depth of catalog. And I think the distinctness of sound, like whenever I hear your drums, like I know it's you, you know, mm -hmm. and that's just a really dope thing. And I think it's, it'll be cool to hear what you have to say about this. And you said to me when we talked before that, I, and I, I don't have it exactly, I'm going to be kind of paraphrasing. But it was in music, it's important to be unique. You are unique by default. So be yourself. Yes. That's wow. That's a that's a bar. <laughs> I can't believe I said that. That's, that's <laughs> I believe I, it, dude. That's how I feel. Yeah, no, that's 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 a hundred percent where I am. It's not a hundred percent where I I always live. You know, I try to live by that mantra. Um, I think it's kind of impossible, especially in today's world, to not have outside influence some way, some shape, some form. But to tie it back to the Lloyd Banks thing, that clearly is like a case of me like choosing to be myself and working out. First of all, thank you for noticing the, the drum thing. Like that's kind of where I have put the most work in, I'd say. And it's kind of the most important thing to me um, in, in my music is my drums and it's it's become kind of a signature, I guess. You just kind of told me that it's not something that I can see from inside, but I just know that's what I work on. So to hear people like respond to that makes me feel fucking good. Absolutely, um, man. Shit, what were we talking about? The importance of being yourself. Oh, okay. 
So yeah, for so many reasons. It, number one, it's the only thing that separates you from everything else is just to be yourself. It's not always easy. And for people who are just starting out, may not even know who that is. I think it's also important to stress that it's a fluid situation. Like I'm always trying hard just to be myself, but myself today is not who myself 20 years ago was. And you can hear that difference in the music. And to me, it's a very natural path. Now, with people just starting out, I highly recommend mimicry. Like, find all the shit that you love and copy it to learn, to get your chops, to figure out what it is that really you gravitate to. That's how I started out. I started out trying to make beats like the people who I looked up to and who I, you know, listened to their music nonstop, like the Prince Pauls of the world, et cetera, Marley Mall. And through me trying to make my version of that, I've found myself. And I can see the roots of, of all the things I do, even including the drums. Like I see very specific songs in my past that kind of push me to where I am with make drum fills and hip hop, which is kind of like not a normal thing, but it's been done before me. It's just one thing that I kind of like latched onto these one or two or three songs. And I was like, all right, I'm going to figure out how they did this and I'm going to do it differently and blah, blah, blah. I still feel like I'm meandering away from the point, which you're selling a product with, with being a producer, being an artist, being a rapper and the product is you. So be you, it, it, you can't sell someone else's image. You can, and people do it all the time. I, I know it's kind of a vague concept, but I'll, I'll tie it into something that that's kind of prevalent in the beat scene, which is the, the type beats. I have a real problem with, with that entire world. And I have friends that do it and they're really good at it. But when I hear the stuff that they do, I don't hear a, I don't know, lo-fi type beat or Griselda type beat. I hear a, their type of beat that kind of fits in this space a little bit. Mm -hmm. But then there are other people who just blatantly kind of rip shit off. Like I can't, I can't, I can't vibe with that at all. And it's not to say that they're bad artists. There are some people who make really dope beats that sound like someone else. I don't know if that's art to me. Yeah, I hear you. So it's it sort of sounds like there's like this sense of maybe like inauthenticity that you kind of sense when you listen to these things. So, yeah. So like how how do you you know, like, how do you encourage other people to kind of like, because it's sort of like, I agree with what you're saying a lot. I think there's like, it's sort of like in the same way that you learn words and develop a vocabulary so that you can better express what it is that you're feeling. Right. And so the, the more that you can develop like a sense of competency in whatever your kind of tools are, the more, the more freely you're going to be able to kind of like express yourself and the less barrier, hopefully that there is between you and, the, and what you make. Right. All of that said, I think, you know, Aside from like kind of just developing competency, is there anything that you recommend or that you've done yourself that you think has helped you kind of find yourself? And maybe once you have found even pieces or glimpses of that to feel maybe more comfortable in that space too? Um, there's, there's one specific thing that I do, but it's only when I'm working on a project. It's not just like an everyday practice. Mm. Um, when I'm working on a project, I don't listen to anything. I don't listen to anything unless it's very intentional. Like I want the vibe of this. So I'll listen to this and it'll, you know, by no like specific attempt on my own, it just naturally goes into the stuff that I wind up making. It's not like, Oh, I'm going to make this, but I'll just, in my, you know, when I'm walking my dog or where out in the park, I'll have something in my head and that naturally seeps into my music. But for the most part, especially with rap, when I'm working on a rap project, I don't listen to anything. People will send me links. Look, have you heard this? Nope. Hmm. I'll hear it when I'm done with this project. 
but now I don't, I don't listen to shit unless I'm listening to stuff for samples, but it, that that's one thing that I do. And it can be a little crazy because sometimes I'm working on a project for quite some time, you know, and like, yeah. but I find that like for me, and, and I realize this isn't for everyone and it's not just about an influence thing. Sometimes it, it's, well, I guess it is about influence in that, that sense. Like sometimes I'll listen to something and I'll be like, oh shit, that's dope. I wish I was doing stuff more like that. Like, even if it's not a conscious thought, it's something that kind of seeps in, like, especially if I really like something and I don't want that pull. I mm-hmm. want it to come, come from me. And like, then when I play it for people, they can't like, oh, that sounds like this or sounds like that. It, it may they may get that that feel from it but i know where it came from it came from me and only me i hate to do it to y'all but we're gonna have to cut it here that's it for part one of episode three with cryptic one come back to the next episode of producer head and catch part two of episode three where we're gonna go even deeper with imposter syndrome the impact of social media and artistic discovery turning small projects into larger projects and how to flip self-doubt into a tool that you can use to move forward Again, that's it for part one with Cryptic One. I'll see you in the next episode for part two. That's it for this episode of Producer Head. Appreciate you coming through and being a part of it. My hope is that it helps you unlock a bit more creativity and find progress in a way that matters to you. Before we go, there are three simple and zero cost ways to support the Producer Head podcast. One, tap in and subscribe or follow wherever you're listening, whether it be Spotify or Apple. Two, if you haven't already, drop a review on Apple or Spotify maybe both if you're feeling it. The feedback is appreciated and helps me continue to do what's working while improving along the way. Three, send this episode to one person who would enjoy it. Do not underestimate the power of word of mouth. The most old school of methods are often the most effective. Finally, let's stay connected. I regularly share ideas that help me develop my creative process along with music recommendations and even give away free music and sample packs. Head to tourubeat.com. T-O-R-U-B-E-A-T.com and sign up to receive all of these things and stay up on all things producer head. You can also stay connected with me and the podcast at Torubeat, T-O-R-U-B-E-A-T on Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok. The theme music is one of my own songs. It is called Room to Breathe and available now on all streaming platforms. Again, for real, thank you so much for being here with me and I look forward to catching you in the next episode of Producer Head. This has been Toru, and in a way, so are you. Peace.